calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Here's a quick question for you. How did you sleep last night? If your battle for a good night's sleep feels relentless, I have the answer. It's a podcast called Sleep Wave with meditations and hypnosis created to help you fall asleep. My relaxation techniques will help you feel calm and ready for sleep with soft music that will help you fall asleep in minutes. Most listeners never hear the end of an episode. So search Sleep Wave on your favorite podcast app and find out why over a million people have fallen asleep to my voice. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. Indeed it is. Indeed. And a little peek behind the curtain. We just spent the last 10 minutes trying to figure out our sound because something weird happened with the soundboard. Maybe it's haunted. It's for sure haunted. It's a haunted soundboard. 100%. We've been talking about too much spooky stuff and they're like enough. But honestly, a haunted soundboard, very inconvenient. Because <laughs> not very nice. Listen, I'm tired. I don't want to have to reset this thing like every time. Come every on. Every time. Help there me is out. a bit of fiddling. But okay. you know, it's all, part, it's all part of the process, you know, all part of the process. Well, I hope that all of our listeners had a good Halloween because I realize we're doing another kind of spooky episode, but this episode is coming out on November 1st. Come on. November 1st is still like totally spooky season. Well, I don't know. There are some pretty hardcore Thanksgiving stands, and I bet you they don't appreciate Halloween encroaching on their territory whenever Christmas is already pretty... I was going to say, I went to Target today, and I don't appreciate Target encroaching on my Halloween time with all of their Christmas decorations, because there was literally like three costumes left, and that was it. And then there was this whole Christmas section all ready to go, and I was like, this is insane. It's still October, I'm not okay with this. Yeah, this. I mean, I feel like this makes me feel very, very old. But I feel like when we were kids, you didn't start to see Christmas stuff until after Halloween. Like, you didn't start to see it until yeah, November. Yeah, I mean, November 1st, and then it, like, threw up on yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe I'm just remembering it wrong. I feel like maybe the older generation could be like, no, 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 it happened like this too, but not to my recollection. I don't think so. I really don't, because I feel like it became a thing whenever Christmas stuff started coming out at like on Halloween yeah, or before yeah. Halloween and people were like, really? Yeah. I just don't appreciate how early radio stations start to play Christmas music these days. It's going to start happening in like a week and a half. Yeah. I have a rule for myself. I do start listening to Christmas music when I'm cooking for Thanksgiving. Yes. So that's, that's, like that's my normal, tradition. Yeah. That's like a normal thing. I feel like that was the same for us. Like we'd watch our first like Christmas movie of the season mm-hmm. on the night of Thanksgiving and things like that. It's kind of like, 
welcoming in the yeah. whole like holiday season. And you know I love Christmas, so I love, Christmas. I love it. But I feel like you, I have to have those like markers for myself yeah. where I'm like, listen, or else in you order do it, yeah, in order for it to maintain its specialness. Like I don't even put the tree up until December first because really? I'm like I wait, yeah, because I'm like I it's. The ritual of it is half of the fun. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't think I have a specific time that I need my tree up. It just has to be up throughout the month of December. Very yeah. Very, I guess I mean important. that it. I don't have a date that I put it up. I just don't put it's it up. December 1st. <laughs> I just don't put it up in, in November. I know a lot of people put their Christmas trees up on Thanksgiving or like yeah. the day after Thanksgiving. I think my mom might have. Gosh, I don't remember. But anyway, we're not at all talking about anything as joyful as that. No, this is actually... This this is dark. This is really, really, really dark. I think as far as like murderous, bloody, gory stuff goes, this is probably the worst we've gotten. <laughs> well, as far as details go, like if you want to go into the details, which we will be discussing some of yeah. in this episode. Um, yeah, the details of this story, or at least of this legend... Yes. Of the of the legend of Elizabeth Bathory are dark. Yes. And of course they're dark. It's like the 1600s was no picnic for anybody, period. Exactly, you know? <laughs> like, exactly. So before we go into the episode, I just wanted to give another big trigger warning because in this episode we will be discussing torture, sexual assault, and murder, which may not be suitable for all of our listeners, especially those under the age of 13. So please proceed with caution or feel free to skip this one altogether if you feel that you need to. Yeah. Okay. So (laughs) why don't we get started with actually talking about the legend? Because the reason why, you know, when we were trying to figure out what we wanted to do this week, we knew we wanted to kind of do another spookier episode. And we were tossing some things around. A big reason why I wanted to talk about this woman in particular is because this to this day she has this like such this legend around She's her got the notoriety yeah the notoriety of the most prolific female serial killer ever to exist she's still right. in the guinness book of world records as the most prolific female serial killer i remember the first time i learned about elizabeth bathory i remember it pretty vividly because i was going through my like early high school like late middle school kind of goth vampire phase okay uh and i stumbled across this story on the internet it was probably some like tumblr i was gonna say it was totally a tumblr page with like some crazy elizabeth bathory right and there was definitely yeah yeah definitely like graphics that what am i doing right now you're flashing i mean you're not not actually flashing (laughs) me but your hands are flashing Yes, yes but you know like when you'd go to a MySpace page and they would yeah. have like whatever those like early GIFs were. Yeah. Where it was just like pixelated flashing it would be graphics. Like the GIF of like dripping blood. Exactly. And things like It'd that. It'd be like oh, sparkly dripping blood. Sparkly dripping blood. 100%. Yeah. And the legend was that she would bathe in blood to keep herself young. And of course, I was fascinated. So I'm reading all of these blog posts about this woman, right? So that's the, the legend that has kind of persisted. But yeah. there there are other schools of thought as far as who she was and whether or not she actually committed these crimes. Exactly. I find Elizabeth Bathory's story so fascinating. I call her Liz a lot in my notes because that's my mom's name. I find it very funny to refer to this like horrible woman as Liz. So, potentially horrible woman. Potentially horrible woman. I mean, it does seem, in my opinion, 
she and her husband didn't seem to be so wonderful. Oh, they're I don't not think nice they were people. Saintly. I'm, it, mm, but I, so I don't think she's like blameless. I don't think she was an angel with any of these people. No, no, no. I don't think she was a nice but, person, but I'm not sure that I'm convinced that she did everything that they said she did. 100%. And I also don't know if I believe all of the reasons that people have given behind her around her reasons to doing these crimes. You know what I mean? Like her motivations. A lot of the things uh, are very fantastical, particularly the very vampire aspect of her life. That's all bullshit. I'm going to go on record right now and say that. She did not drink the blood. She did not bathe in the blood. There is no evidence of this whatsoever. Um, My thinking is that there would probably be even more witnesses that would be explaining having seen these sorts of situations if you were to see her walking around dripping dripping in blood i don't know that's just me um but she was the or one of the inspirations for dracula Mm -hmm. um which i think is pretty cool because i don't think that you would consider a female vampire to be the inspiration for one of the most famous male monsters of all time right well i mean it it was twofold right so you had like elizabeth Bathory and you had Vlad the Impaler those were Mm -hmm. the two kind of like main inspirations for for Dracula so I think it was just this combination but I did find it very interesting you know like I read when I was going through that phase I read a book as well about like finding Dracula and kind of finding the origins of, of that um, of what led Bram Stoker God, to I write wish that. I had known you when we were younger. I was such a little weirdo. We would have been such. I was such a little weirdo too. But I had no one to be weird with. Like we oh. would have been best friends. Oh yeah, man. I wish I still had that book. I <sighs> would totally let you borrow it if I did. Oh my god. But you know, Dracula comes from like the word Dracul, which is dragon, which yeah. is also there's a legend around dragons involved with the Elizabeth Bathory coat of arms as well. Right. Um. So both Vlad the Impaler and Elizabeth. Bathory had that kind of like dragon past which is part of where Bram Stoker pulled that name from yeah, Dracula definitely. so it is very interesting yeah well at one point Elizabeth stood accused of killing 650 young women and like we said if that's true that makes her the most prolific serial killer of all time male or female identifying yeah so let's talk a little bit um, about the legend of of Elizabeth Bathory. So yeah. legend. Oh, wait, actually, can I oh, say yeah. one more yes. thing before we start? So I found this interesting because the reason that folklore changes, it's like a game of telephone. It mm-hmm. changes and grows and evolves into these different things is because we really didn't have a lot of firsthand accounts of what happened. But eventually, Elizabeth's letters were translated from Hungarian, which gave historians a little bit of a better idea about what her side of the story was. But before that, it was solely based on witness testimonies and rumors that had gone around uh, the many villages that she lived in. Right. I mean, and that was really basically all of the evidence they had was hearsay. Like they didn't have a lot of firsthand accounts. The only people who um, said that they were witness to any of these actual crimes were the um, servants who participated were allegedly participated in these crimes with her. And they admitted to that under extreme torture. Right. So even historians for hundreds of years weren't able to tell the true story of Elizabeth Bathory because all we had were these letters and the people that were looking into them couldn't understand the letters. So they had to wait for them to be translated and all this kind of stuff. So we've started to gain a little bit of a clearer picture of her life and a little bit of her possible crimes through that. But when you compare it to hundreds of years of folklore and rumor spreading, 
it's pretty hard to determine, even with the letters and things like that, what's fact and what's fiction. Well, and it's hard as well because generally people want to believe the legend. They want to believe the thing that is more because fantastical more fun. and more yeah. interesting, right? And that's kind of an issue that I kind of hit upon as well when doing prep for this episode is that a lot of the websites where you're going to find information, they are purporting this information or sorry, they are reporting this information as though it is fact. Right. Um, when in actuality, a lot of the quote unquote evidence that they are presenting is not proven. And they will even throw in things like she was taught Satanism at a young age by family members yes, and she yes, bathed yes. in blood. And when you throw those things in, which are not proven, that cannot be proven with other things, you can't extract what's fact and what's fiction because right. you're presenting it all as though it's fact. But that's almost part of the story that I think is so fascinating because it starts a conversation over whether or not we think certain aspects of the story are true, if they could be true, if they were true, how did it happen, so on and so forth. And to me, that's part of the fascinating part about Elizabeth Bathory in general. Well, I think all the thing is, and we haven't even begun to talk about her crimes, really, or alleged crimes, but I think the thing is, what makes this fascinating for a lot of people is it's so horrible, but it could be true. Because yeah. like we we know even in modern times, I mean, you have like Fred and Rosemary West who yeah. did horrific things not far off from yeah. from the things that Elizabeth Bathory was accused of that right. you're like, it could be true. And like, also the laws for servants at the time were not there to protect them whatsoever. She was a noble woman. There were lots of ways that she could have gotten away with her crimes if she committed them. So I'm really excited to start talking about yes. Miss Liz. So let's do that. Okay. Uh, Countess Elizabeth Bathory was born on August 7th, 1560. Leo. Just feel like that needs to be said. Oh, I, and I don't typically like Leos. <gasps> oh, oh my gosh. I never said that on you're the show. You're about to upset so many people. Okay, I've never met these people. I'm not saying like if you're a Leo, I automatically don't like you. I'm just saying Leos that I've met in my life have not been great. My mom, my brother, and my grandpa are all Leos. In fact, my grandpa's birthday is August 7th. I am so sorry. I'm no, sure I'm, they're all wonderful. I don't care. You're not <laughs> insulting me personally. I'm just saying. Um, you remember Mm -hmm. Leo. Yeah, that tracks. <laughs> and she was born at the Exit Castle in Royal Hungary. So both of her parents come from different branches of the Bathory family, making them cousins. They're cousins, but they are distant cousins. <laughs> They're so distant cousins, but the Bathory family was, and this was common for many families of nobility at the time in order to keep your bloodline strong you would mate within your own right bloodline yeah but i did want to point that out because oftentimes you know when you're talking about royals it is like first cousins marrying each other like when you're talking about yeah, aren't queen elizabeth and um king philip and prince philip prince philip aren't they like second cousins or something they like that? are related but like one of the most famous cases in modern times was Queen Victoria and Albert are like first cousins, you know, like so that was creepy. something that happened frequently. So I did just want to point that out that they were like they were like distant cousins. They were yeah. like seventh cousins. So but there is something. But especially if you were to again, because we don't know facts, if there was a history of inbreeding sure. in this family, which there could be some evidence that 
suggests this. And one of the things that people like to point to is that when Elizabeth was a young girl, she had bouts of seizures and epilepsy and really bad headaches and things like that. And it is one of the um, possible outcomes of inbreeding. Inbreeding could lead to genetic disorders like epilepsy, and epileptic traits are likely to be passed down when a child is a product of people who are closely related to each other, which was according to a study done on a family in India in 2014. Some historians believe that most of the Bathory clan were suffering from mental disorders as a result of inbreeding. Her brother was a sexual predator who would run around the villages drunk and in the nude, which I find funny. Again, none of this can be like legitimized, but the story I enjoy. Um, And at the time, epilepsy was diagnosed as falling sickness. And treatments of this included rubbing the blood of a non-sufferer on the lips of the epileptic or giving the epileptic a non-sufferer's blood and piece of skull as their episode ended. So that was how that they how they would deal with epilepsy at the time, which I think is really interesting with how it ties into Elizabeth Bathory's story. Doesn't right. mean that that's exactly right. what was happening or anything like that. No. I also want to say that excusing like or not excusing but kind of like coming up with an excuse for uh entitled behavior yeah by saying like oh it's mental illness like oh he's a sexual predator who likes to run around naked that sounds like some rich person shit that sounds like some rich frat guy shit if i've ever heard it like some entitled frat guy shit he was he was like an entitled frat guy but then there was like he was like known to like assault people yeah but that's kind of what i think when people talk about her cruelty specifically towards like her what she would deem to be her inferiors her servants um and they tie that back to mental illness or tie something like that back to mental illness to me that sounds like entitlement like that's what that sounds like to me is like i'm special i'm important i'm wealthy and we see that happen to this day like you know people in high positions or of a certain class treating people they deem to be below them right. badly. Yeah. You know, because they can. They can and they get away with it. And right. It's not a big deal. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, when she was 10 years old, her parents died just months apart, which is really hard on her. And she was on her own with several enormous castles and a lot of land. The rest of her relatives had their own problems and they couldn't be bothered. And this is when another important part of the legend comes into the story. She was very close with an aunt by the name of Aunt Clara, who allegedly would teach young Liz witchcraft and methods of torture. And again, unproven. Unproven. I mean, <laughs> yes. and then because the other thing that has been sensationalized out of this relationship is that the two had a sexual relationship, but Clara would have been 50 years old at the time and Liz was 10. So if they did, it would have been a very, very predatory uh, yeah. experience. But again, none of this can be verified or verified if she was probably a very nice woman that decided to take Elizabeth in after her parents had died. Yeah. I mean, or, or again, I would believe that all of these people were shitty. Like, you know, they, they were, I, I can't, really express how wealthy and powerful this family was. They were one of the most influential, prominent, oh, yeah, we wealthy to say that. families. Yeah, in like, Eastern Europe, all yeah. of Eastern Europe oh, at the time. there were kings in the family mm-hmm. and high-ranking knights. military officials and yeah. knights. Um, I can't remember. It's like a viovide, vi- vi- viovide or whatever is our... Right. father. Like, it's a very important, like, Basically, the protector. highest ranking yeah. official 
that you can have in yeah. in that region where exactly. they were at. So they their family was so incredibly powerful that it wouldn't surprise me if none of these people were nice people. Because and it, they didn't and it, have to be nice people. And in know? fact, it probably hindered them to be nice. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they probably weren't nice. Um, and, you know, so if if they were kind of up to some shady shit, I also wouldn't be surprised. Like right. that, that wouldn't surprise me at all because there were a lot of rumors as well. Not only was she taught witchcraft and Satanism, but she was also taught sadomasochism and, yeah, and she was also techniques taught torture like techniques yeah. and things like that. And again, those things could very well be true. 100%. Um, or they could be this larger than life myth legend right and then there is also the idea of how the what witchcraft has been through time right and our understanding and what did of that, that mean and satanism really? and things mm-hmm. like that so what that rumor could have been in the 1600s and what that meant at the time could be very different than what that means to us at the time now right and it should also be said that elizabeth was considered very beautiful and she yes. was very well educated and she really enjoyed learning she was a voracious reader um she was always kind of seeking knowledge and wanting to know more about science and philosophy yeah and women like that as we've talked about many many times yep um were feared especially if they were in positions of power exactly you know so I just I find this I'm gonna stop saying like this might be true or might not be true just no assume, we're gonna say it a million times <laughs> just assume throughout the story that like we don't know all the facts but that's what makes the story interesting to me is that she's such a complex historical figure because the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Right. You know? Right. There is something very, uh, there is something about her that I think is true based on the fact that when she eventually gets married, she decides to keep her last name and even... He takes uh, her last and name. he takes her last name. Right. And then says him to take her last name. So, well, and it made sense at the time because again... She was of higher nobility right. than he was. But at the same time... She was a woman and he was a man. Mm -hmm. So I can understand where that would still be maybe a point of contention or something that would be seen as weird Mm -hmm. to the people surrounding them. Well, and it was their relationship, I think, from the little bit that I've been able to glean um, was a very interesting relationship in that they seemed they were only about five years apart, but they seemed to actually enjoy each other or at least like each other as much as any union at that time, you well, know, because it was an arranged marriage. Here's what I've gleaned. Yes, because she was 11 years old when she became engaged to Ferenc Nadazdi. I'm not going to say his last name anymore because it's like a tongue twister for and me. And anyway, he changed it to uh, Bathory, so it's fine. Right. So uh, Ferenc was 16 when she was 11 and they got engaged. Um, like we were saying, Ferenc was the son of another Aristotic family, but Elizabeth came from a uh, more higher status family. Therefore, they were able to keep the last name Bathory. She moved in with Ferenc when she was 12 years old and it was before they were married. She like moved into his castle and she was being groomed on how to be like the perfect noble wife. You know, she used to really enjoy. I remember reading that she really loved to fence. Um, There were she was a big reader. She loved education, like you said. And during this time, she felt very lonely and began what the Internet is calling an affair when she was 13 years old, I'm not going to call it an affair because she was 13 and the guy was older, probably an adult, but she was also 13 engaged. So it's possible that 
more was expected of her sexually at the time than we would now. So maybe that's why they're still referring to it as an affair. But I feel icky saying that. Um, She soon became pregnant with the man's child. And Ferenc was very unhappy about this. And again, legend says that Ferenc had the guy castrated and fed to the dogs. Right. Right. Yeah. And the baby was given away in secret and never seen from again. And it was shortly after that, when she was 14 years old in 1575, that she did marry Ferenc. And from what I can tell, yes, it was a very like... They seemed like friends and confidants. Right. Which is more than you could hope for, for an arranged marriage at that time. Like, because generally it would, listen, I say that knowing full well what's coming next. Um, Yeah. Because I was going to say there has to be something there. Yeah. Like, because, you know, nobody was under any any obligation to find you a partner who you actually liked, let alone love. Or would treat you well. Right. So the fact that their relationship actually did seem to be like a pretty friendly relationship um, is good, except for that it was built on a lot of um, violence towards others. Yes. <laughs> it they, would seem. They both had a passion for sadism. Essentially, they both really loved inflicting pain. Um, Ferenc was... Or at least they didn't mind it. They were extremely cruel to the... like. Yeah, they, they had say, very high I mean, standards. I read that it was like how they bonded. It was like almost a bonding experience for them. And it was Ferenc's rule that they could beat the servants. They would do it together, but they weren't allowed to kill any servants. That was his one rule. Um, but it was after they got married that Ferenc gave Liz Castle... Cachtisa, and I'm not going to ever say that name again. I'm just gonna I, I call think it's it. pronounced Chiete. Chiete? Yeah. Okay, because I'm just going to call it the castle from now on. Yeah, yeah. Screw that. It's in modern day Slovakia. There were 17 villages surrounding it, and that became like Liz's kingdom, essentially. And it was within that castle that the horrors would. Right. So. Become. There were rumors. So a lot of this stuff that we're talking about was born of rumors, which again was a lot of like hearsay that happened later during the trial and before the trial when all the witness testimony was being collected. And one of the rumors was that when he gifted her this castle, he had a torture chamber created for her to her specifications. She requested that and he um, provided that for her within this castle. So that was kind of a thing that that was a rumor at the time was right. that there was this very elaborate torture chamber um, that he, and he was that very he well aware specifically built mm-hmm, that this was something that. that she enjoyed doing and was going to use it it's for like that purpose. It's like a craft room. Right. You know, everyone needs a hobby. <laughs> this one's hers. Maybe a different hobby. Liz. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. 
So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. So three years after they got married, Ferenc became the chief commander of the Hungarian troops against the Ottoman. Against the Ottoman. <laughs> that one singular Ottoman. <laughs> I'm just thinking of like the Ottoman that you mm-hmm, put your, put your legs up. on. Yeah. <laughs> against the Ottomans. And this is another thing that was probably not very common for a woman at the time. Since her husband was away at war, she became in charge of all of the land, the estate, uh, the money, everything that went into the, the castle home, essentially. And, and the yeah. surrounding villages. Yeah. There was a lot of people that she was in charge of. And, and she was good at it. And she was really yeah. good at it. She really took charge. She was, I mean, the way that she was described in things that I heard, she acted like the man of the house. You know what I mean? She she put that role on herself very, very well. Um, but she was also there to really ensure that a lot of the people in her village were cared for. And it's super strange to think with all of the horrible things that we're going to be talking about. But she actually helped many destitute women whose husbands had been captured and another woman whose daughter was raped and impregnated. So there is some sign within this story that at one point she was helpful to the people of her village during war-torn times. Right. I mean, she that's the the thing about this is that while it may be true that she treated her servants badly and to what extent again we don't know. Like mm-hmm. maybe it was torture, maybe it was terrible beatings. We don't know because we don't have facts about like that. What we do have facts of is that she did write letters on behalf of poor people in her community. She actually did that. She advocated for um, specifically poor women within her community. And that, you know, one of the servants who ended up being executed as one of her co-conspirators was a midwife. And it was the same physician. She was like basically a female physician that treated her own children. And she would allow this midwife to also treat people in the village. So both things can be true. They're not necessarily yes. mutually exclusive that she was cruel, but she also knew the value of taking care of, of people as well. Yeah. So we just don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like, and so I also did want to say that prior to the investigation in which a lot of people came forward to say X, Y, Z about Elizabeth, there had been no complaints about her previous to this. And right. this was a time in Hungary where they did keep kind of like very thorough records of complaints right um and there hadn't been any uh up until this point it's interesting because some of the sources that i was looking at do claim that their abuse of these servants didn't happen until a little bit later down the road so i guess if if both could be true, maybe it really didn't start occurring until after a while that they were living in the castle and not right away, especially right. with everything going on. Well, maybe and what, she didn't. And what went on within the palace walls or castle walls rather? Yeah. And what went on within the larger community again could be two different things. Like she could probably go into the village and behave one way. And it was different when she was at home with the servants in her actual home. Right. You know, like I think that, 
that is also possible that yeah. like she was able to care for people outside of the castle walls in a different way than she was within her own home. Definitely. Um, you know, we see Just that like we see with, with abusers all the time. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, it was interesting. One thing that she and Ferenc were ridiculed about a bit was the fact that it was taking them so long to have kids. It did take them 10 years to start having children. And one part of the folklore is that when she was 24 years old, she allegedly went to see a forest witch to help her conceive a child. And whatever this forest witch offered, it may have worked because her daughter Anna was born in 1585. Yeah, and the couple did go on to have five children together. Yeah, they had... um, Orsica in 19, sorry, in 1950, in 1590, (laughs) Catalin in 1594, Andres in 1596, and Pal in 1598. Yeah, so... As you said earlier, her husband was gone a lot um, fighting against the Ottoman Empire. And at that time, Elizabeth would be at home kind of managing the family estate. And this is kind of when we see things sort of kick off. So while the couple were cruel beforehand, it was when he was spending, it was allegedly when he was spending these long stretches of time away from home. That's when things really began to ramp up for Elizabeth, in which the legend has it that that is when she began to... um, um, not only torture serpents within her home, but also murder them and also began abducting, actively abducting girls uh, right. from the village as well. And so. it's interesting because what I had read was that while Ferenc was fighting this war, he was learning all of these different methods of torture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And because he was already kind of a sadistic person, this was something that he was bringing home to his wife. Mm-hmm. They already were known to not treating their servants very well. So another part of the story could be that he was becoming more and more engaged in that kind of lifestyle yeah. when he got home, was inviting Elizabeth more and more into that part of his life as well. Because, again, I I was reading differing accounts where Ferenc had this idea that you could torture and abuse and hurt these servants as much as you wanted, Mm -hmm. but don't kill them. Because I think to him that meant that there would start to be questions raised about what's happening in the castle. Well, it's also not a very good investment, is it? (laughs) Not if you want to look at it that way, but like, I feel like that kind of thing happened all the time, even within chattel slavery in the United States. It was like, you could be as cruel as you wanted to be, but it wasn't a good investment for you to go around killing the help, essentially. Um, And in fact, one time they say that what became kind of this like legendary way that she would torture victims that you will find if you read any articles is that she would cover them in honey, um, strip them naked, cover them in honey, and then let them go outside and be eaten alive essentially by, by insects. Bees, yeah. And it said that the first time they did that, it was actually, it was her and her husband. He was the one who introduced her to that form Showed of torture. Her. Yeah. And, during that, the first time, the person that they were torturing, the young woman that they were torturing, passed out, and he thought she was dead. Exactly. And so he he put a piece of paper, he put pieces of paper between her toes, covered them in oil, and lit them on fire to try and resuscitate. Oh, to see if she was still alive, right? Right, right, to try and get her to wake up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that does kind of go in line with what you're saying about, like, he he, for whatever reason, did not want to kill them. Right. <laughs> He just wanted to torture them I to mean, punish them. Yeah, I mean, to me, if you... And I think this is true for a lot of criminals. Maybe I've just watched too many like true crime stories. But it's like, 
once that person is gone, you no longer have that satisfaction of torturing them anymore. And then also, they are well-known enough people that I think he was aware of his title to where if they were to start dispensing bodies outside of the castle walls, people would start to have some questions as to why these people are, why they're going through so many servants and why all of these caskets are leaving and things like that, which eventually would um, come back to bite them. But like I mentioned earlier in 16th century Hungary, laws cited that servants owned owed their lives to the lords of the land of which they live or the property of their employers and had no legal rights. And the Bathories were also so rich that they lived above the law that even if they were to be hurting their servants, one, people probably aren't going to care because it's not against the law. And two, they're rich enough that they're able to just kind of quash whatever rumors and issues there are for a long time to be able to get away with it. I will say that keep all of that in mind. Okay. So, I'll keep all of that in mind that we are in 16th century, very early 17th century um, Eastern Europe at this time. Yeah, no one's looking for these women when they go missing. But you know? even so, there were letters, there are documented, there is documented proof of people who did visit the castle who wrote letters and went out of their way to say the count and countess are unusually cruel to their servants, which exactly. you have to know it's pretty bad. If someone is saying you're unusually in 15th century cruel. Hungary and they're like, they're they're extra. There's usual cruelness. And right. Then there's unusual. They're like, cruelness. who among us has not slapped around our servant every now and again? I but mean, what they're doing is bananas. Is above and beyond. You know what I mean? I mean, there's one story of Elizabeth getting frustrated with her seamstress so she shoved pins underneath her fingernails and things like that where it just oh those stories those are the worst nail fingernail stuff is the worst it is eyeball and fingernail stuff for me is like the worst and they say that as she was like pricking underneath the woman's fingernails she was like crying in agony and the sounds of the woman's cries bugged her so much that Liz put the needle in her lips when the woman tried to remove it Elizabeth cut all of her fingers off dun 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 yeah (laughs) yeah so okay so we have all of this information people are like whoa this feels like a lot you know Um, and I do kind of want to at this time start talking about what exactly was happening in the region at this time as well. Because I do think it's really important for context, context, right? So after being married for nearly 40 years, I believe, her husband did pass away um, fighting the Ottoman Empire. And when that happened, Elizabeth became one of the most powerful and influential women in all of Eastern Europe. Not only that, she became one of the most powerful people in all of this entire region, period. So uh, when her husband died, there were those who attempted to take advantage of her with one nobleman even trying to invade some of her land. Elizabeth was not intimidated. Like I said, she was very, very, she was a very strong and confident woman. She knew how to handle herself. And she wrote a letter to this man and she said, so my good sir, you have done this thing. You have occupied my small possessions because you are poor, but I do not think that we will leave you to enjoy them in peace. You will find in me a man. So she was like, you're trying to take advantage of me because I'm a woman. 
I'm not going to behave the way that you think I'm going to behave. I'm going to behave like a man would. And you're not going to be able to take advantage of me like that. Yeah, there were many years that she had to kind of go from place to place in order to keep herself and her children safe because people were trying to take her land and her castles. I mean, they had they were like the Kardashians of Hungary in the 1600s, 1500s, 1600s, because they had houses and castles everywhere and everybody was trying to take over as much as they could. Right. I mean, she was so wealthy that the king of Hungary, King Matthias, was in debt to her. That's how wealthy she was. Yeah. Meanwhile, around the same time, her nephew, Gabor uh, Bathory, was being crowned Prince of Transylvania. Yep. So the prominence of this family was growing. Yeah. And Elizabeth had land and estates that spanned from one end of Eastern Europe to the other. So with her nephew being the Prince of Transylvania, which is kind of a complicated like area. Yeah, this this whole thing is very complicated uh, geographically, especially because a lot of these places don't truly exist anymore. They're at least like they've melded into other things and stuff. I've been to Transylvania. I would love to go to Transylvania. It's in Romania. Um, it's in modern day Romania, but right. like that whole area while I was there, I also went to Hungary because that entire area is very, um, they're close c- together, it's close together. Yeah. Right. So uh, he was the Prince of Transylvania. And because of that, she could grant him safe passage. Should he want to try and invade or lay claim to the Polish throne to the Polish throne or the Hungarian throne yeah. because of the way that her estates were like, if you listen to the noble blood, podcast episode on this um she calls it like political or a geographical lily padding so you could you could basically make your way through the entire territory just going through their estates which provided safe passage for anybody who wanted to move through that so she could provide her nephew if he was like hey i'm gonna try and invade or take over poland take that throne you can use my route right or that or take the hungarian throne i can just move through my aunt's estates essentially Essentially, which is very scary right and so they were a threat there were no two ways about that so it's within this context that the palatine of hungary who was basically kind of like the lead official yeah he was a guy named thorzo he is ordered by king matthias the king of hungary to investigate claims that elizabeth bathory is torturing and murdering young girls at her castle can i mention something about thorzo yes in the female criminals episode that i was listening to again don't know how true this is. They mentioned something about Thurzo actually being contacted by Ferenc before he died as a way to ensure protection for Elizabeth. So if we do want to believe that's true, that could potentially be a bit of a conflict of interest with Thurzo because he was entrusted by his friend to take care of Elizabeth, but not knowing exactly what that meant... You know, I have a hard time believing that he was he had her best interest at heart. Like it seems to me Well before first of all, before he knew what was going on, but it was from the story that I heard, Ferenc was like, My wife is gonna be a widow, you know, please watch over her sure. blah 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 blah. And Ferenc had paid off church officials in the past and other officials in the past to kind of sway rumors away from his wife. So while I don't think Terzo understood what Ferenc was referring to when he wanted uh, Terzo, I keep wanting to call him Turbo. Terzo. Because every time I would write Terzo, it would uh, correct as Turbo in my notes. Um, 
but like I guess they were like friends in the military. It was like one of those things. But I don't know if the, all of that sounds too coincidental to me. Well, to me, I don't think. Okay, because here here's why I don't think that he was on the Bathory side because he had more to gain from their destruction than from from them maintaining their position. And he worked for the king. Like, you know, yeah, I think that he while he may have been friends with Ferenc and wanted to be there for Elizabeth in an emotional way or like in the way that I think some husbands would ask for others to you know watch over my wife when I go. I don't think he was under the impression that that meant my wife is a mass murderer. Murderer sweeps sure. under the rug for me. Sure, but I do think it would be interesting if there was, if that is true, that there is some sort of relationship between Chirzo and the Bathory family. Well, if in there some is, way. then okay. Because here's here's the rest of what I have. Oh no, I know he, he he takes her fucking down. I have there's he, like four different pastors. He takes her down. And also, I believe he fabricated evidence. Like, I think Mm. I absolutely believe that because I can see that when he bursts into her chambers, because, right, they start investigating. There is um, a priest. I think it's a Lutheran priest who has been writing letters for a while. There's like like, four different pastors that go through. I've got uh, it'll take forever if I go through the whole thing, but I've got it all written because there were multiple pastors that had heard about things going on. She would continually say that it was cholera. You know, there were funeral services that were being held. There was apparently a funeral service where a pastor called her out right then and there for the things that they believed that she had uh, done. Uh, There were multiple people within um, the priesthood of the area that were writing letters and trying to get her exposed it was all kind of led by this Chirzo guy but one of her favorite things to say was that her servants died of cholera therefore they had to be buried and disposed of secretively quickly and without anyone knowing because it was so contagious sure I mean there's also the theory though that this is because she was a lifelong Calvinist and these were Lutheran priests Mm. so uh, there was also that that it was just like they didn't like that this person was in charge who was not of their religious denomination or affiliation right so there is also that that line of thought and whenever Thurzo burst into her chambers right because she'd been investigated these priests had been writing letters trying to say like hey She's been doing some shady shit for a while. She's either <laughs> she's either eating dinner or having a raging orgy, depending on what story you want to yeah, listen to. Yeah, you don't know. You don't know because he says he came in, and it wasn't even an orgy from what I read. He came in, and she was in the middle of filleting a woman while another <laughs> dead body was... He caught her red-handed, essentially. Yeah. Caught her red-handed. But then Thurzo's secretary at the time said, no, that's not what happened when he entered in she was eating dinner yeah so we don't we don't know in my I really feel that feels very Hollywoodized to me that like you showed up in the middle of the night and you burst in and she she was torturing someone right then you know I that it feels more likely to me that she was probably eating eating dinner. dinner they do say that her accomplices were in another room torturing um servant girls that they did catch the accomplices in the act allegedly Yes. (laughs) Listen, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I was going to save this for the end, but I might as well just say it now. Like, I... And this sounds fucked up, but it's probably just because of where I was when I learned about this story. I 
want to believe the legend because I just I think that it's like, of course, whoa, it's so fantastical. But to me, Occam's razor, like the simplest explanation is generally more likely to be true. Right. Um, and what we know about like political, the way that politics was at the time and a woman being in charge, I think it's very likely that she was in- incredibly cruel to her servants um, maybe even did kill some of her servants, but do I think that she killed hundreds, killed hundreds of them in these yeah. like absolutely outrageous ways? I don't know that I necessarily believe that, especially because the servants denied participating at first, which of course they would, even Normal, if they were yeah. guilty, but they ended up confessing under extreme torture and they couldn't agree on the number of victims. Do they you, didn't agree. Do you believe that when the investigators showed up that night that they found nine mutilated bodies in open coffins? I don't because the information where they got that from what I was able to find out right. was from one of the servants who who confessed under torture, but he said initially those bodies were plague victims. He's like, they died quite a long time ago from the plague, but I will show you where the body is. So he took them to the body. Thurzo dug up the body, and because it had been so cold, it was fairly well preserved. And then he put the body on display in the town square and said, this is one of Elizabeth Bathory's victims. Right? And so So his story evolved and changed as he went through it. Right. And it was also later proven that those girls of which he built his case on those nine girls the the a lot of the peaks and valleys of her victims of when these people died coincided with outbreaks of plague and other illnesses and those things like that and those nine girls had previously been quarantined together for for plague so could that be could that be an explanation then again for witnesses who say that they would see multiple bodies leaving the castle at a time, you know, things like that. I wonder if that could all be easily explained away. Sure. I mean, I think it could be, again... If they did see the bodies leaving the castle to begin with. And also, it could be both things. It could be that, like, people were dying of plague because it was the Middle Ages, essentially. And, like, also that this is a sadistic person who doesn't treat servants very well and they die as a result of that. You know, I think it could be either. But I do think that he played this up as much as possible and, and kind of like spun this story because he knew that politically it was a good idea to get Elizabeth Bathory out of the way. 100%. And I think that you very well could be right on that. And so eventually Elizabeth was brought to trial. And again, like Keegan said, her accomplices threw out, you know, very different numbers uh, of victims, which made it very difficult to pinpoint how many girls she really had killed. But either way, the verdict came back guilty. 
The king wanted the death sentence so that he so that the land could be given to the crown, but they also knew that if she was sentenced to death, it would cause a major scar on their noble family and set a dangerous example for aristocracy. So she was sentenced to spend the rest of her life imprisoned in her own castle of horrors. And the way that I heard it described in the show mm-hmm. that I listened to is like very very like Rapunzel esque, yes. like in the highest room of the tallest tower yes. kind of thing. It wasn't like she was able to roam the halls of her castle and, and that's like that. that's what i um the first time that i ever heard this story that was again part of the appeal part of the legend was that she that was she basically the castle? no 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 oh, that she, I, I pictured her as like she still had her freedom to roam the castle to potentially still hurt more people. no the the legend that i had heard um was that she was basically walled in like yeah. literally that they like walled her in and they would feed like she was through a they slot would feed her through a slot yeah, every that's day what i read too um, exactly now there are again differing reports on whether or not she was actually confined to her room um or if they kind of let her roam yeah. freely throughout the castle well we and don't know. also the legend about what happened to her accomplices uh, they were allegedly not so lucky. No. The women had their fingers plucked from their hands with red hot tongs <sighs> before their bodies were thrown into a bonfire. And the one man accomplice got off easy by being beheaded before being burned. Yes. I mean, <laughs> and we didn't even go into the things. So the rumors about what she was doing spread like wildfire throughout these areas, throughout these villages. And they ranged from things that we've already discussed, like being burning her victims with hot tongs. Um, There was one with like a gold coin that a servant allegedly stole from her that she then like turned it to be molting hot and uh scarred the girl with it. Um, there was there was something about leaving them like outside in the cold, outside in the cold or in freezing cold, like vats of water, bodies yeah. of water, freezing them to death. Um, there was also, and this is some of the worst stuff, and this plays very much into that kind of like vampire legend that she would bite them with her teeth. Um, she would tear flesh from their bodies. Yes, uh, in one, this is the worst. I'm sorry, trigger warning. There was one story where they said that she made one of her servant girls cut her own flesh off and and eat it. Uh, So these were the kinds of things that were being said. And again, they're also decades later, actually, is when the legend began that she would drain her servant girls of usually virgins of their blood and um, bathe in it in order to keep, her youthful beauty. Yes, exactly. Because it was these like young virginous girls in the village that would go to work for Elizabeth who would never come back to their families. Right. Yeah. And it should also be said that at this time, it was very common for um, aristocratic families to send their daughters into households that were of a higher status. Right. uh, In order for them to learn from the lady of the of the castle, basically. And so there were several noble people who sent their daughters to this castle and they allegedly never returned. And that's why the investigation really got started is because because it was not just peasant people. I mean, I also heard that she had started like a finishing school, which was where they started bringing in more noble girls, because before that it was like these young peasant girls but because elizabeth was seen as being someone that was um very empathetic and caring during times of war that i think a lot of these peasant mothers Mm -hmm. and fathers 
wouldn't really think twice about having their daughters go and work for the bathroom right. I mean, castle. And again, this is a period of time in which like people were starving. Like it was very hard to be a serf. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like at this time, it was just like it was incredibly difficult. Um, families could not afford to feed their children right so sending them away to work somewhere else where they knew that they would have shelter and meals every day and they would not be a financial burden and they wouldn't be living in poverty right right and they wouldn't be a financial burden on you wouldn't have to be responsible for feeding them either you know you knew that they could be taken care of I think that that was probably seen as a pretty enviable position like if you could get your daughter in as a servant in a household like this, it was probably like something that you really wanted to to do. Definitely. And I could also think that the fact that it was a female run household, right. I think could also have a very different perception from people about what would be going on inside that home. I think that, you know, women are seen as being mothers, nurturers, caring, kind people when we know that that isn't always necessarily the case. Right. Absolutely. You know, I don't know. I I don't want to say that I fall 100% on one side of this or the other. Like there are people, there are um historians and scholars who don't believe any of it, who say that, you know, a lot of these things they found a lot of her journals and they think that a lot of these things that she was writing down because of where she was from, um she had a very Transylvanian upbringing which had a lot more to do with like herbalism and women being far more involved in medicine yeah. and so a lot of the things she was recording maybe were seen as witchcraft and things like that right or seen as torture like she was logging these like torturous acts when really like maybe it was bloodletting or very common medical practices at the time like having somebody sit in a vat of cold water was a medical practice at the time and so there are lots of people who think she didn't do anything at all. And then there are lots of people who believe the legend that she was this incredibly prolific serial killer. I fall somewhere in the middle. I was going to say, I think that with any story where there is something so fantastical, you do have to kind of think about the fact that it's probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Because there does seem to be evidence that her husband was cruel. Right. And she and was as well. torture. There's evidence that she was very cruel as well. I think that with what we know today about people who are sadists, who are serial killers, who are murderous, that it would be very easy for us to say that they very well could have been involved in those things, especially because it would have been so easy for them to get away with it at that time. And the fact that she did get away with it for so long to potentially have the high number that they say she did goes to show you how her privileged worked for her right right and I do think you know again I think that a lot of what we see in her behavior is that of an incredibly entitled noble woman in yes. in the 1600s the 1500s right. like, I mean they say it was when her servants didn't do her their chores in the manner that she liked that was when she would get angry. You know what I mean? That's a right. very and when privileged. Right. And when you've been taught your entire life that like. You can treat them badly when they do things wrong. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like if you have a certain personality, it breeds cruelty, yeah. you know? And so I, I'm, sh- I, I would, I would bet that she killed people like yeah. I think that she probably did she whether probably intentionally or not 650 people. right right um I think that 
But if you're going to go around like sticking needles to places on your servants, I mean, I would it would not surprise me if she went too far and and killed people. Like, I think that that probably did happen. Yeah. But I also think the points that you brought up as far as the political climate at the time make a lot of sense as to why those stories would be embellished as well. And when we look at misogyny throughout history, that, again, adds another point to it possibly being not true right i mean and it did successfully put a mar on the bathory name to such an extent that they never really recovered like their their reputation never really recovered from that so um mission accomplished king matthias i wonder (laughs) like i wonder if down the line they changed their name or if they like married out of the name or something i would love to know if there's any bathories out there you know i bet there are i bet you there are people who i want to go on facebook and just look up bathory and see what like last names show up you i bet you could google like elizabeth bathory great 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 grandson and see what happens see what pops up that's wild that is so wild well i really enjoyed the prep for this episode, there is so much to this story. I think if we were to go into the details of everything, it would be incredibly fascinating. Yeah, I mean, um, and not not that I want to sound like a QAnoner, but yeah, do your own research. Do your own research. Go ahead and Google yourself and, and see what you find. Like, there are lots of historians. I watched, um, there's a historian I love on YouTube. Her name is Kat, Dr. Kat, and she's a um, historian... She has a YouTube channel called Reading the Past. Uh, it's very good. She has an episode on this. It's just 30 minutes. Awesome. There are lots of, of articles out there, and you can draw your own conclusions about what you think. Definitely. But for the sake of Halloween, it's a pretty fun story. It is spooky. It's, it's so spooky. very spooky. All right. Well, if there are any topics that you would like for us to cover in the future, you know what to do. Go ahead and email us at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com or direct message us on Instagram at Angry Neighborhood Feminist. We have a Facebook business and group page. You can rate and review us on the business page and chat with the other listeners on the group page. And last, but most certainly not least, if you have not done so already, we would greatly appreciate if you would hop over to that Apple Podcast app and leave us a five-star review with a quick sentence about why you enjoy the show. It really helps us out a lot. Okay, that's all we have for you today. With all that being said, we encourage you to to rage on. Bye. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.